Here we go. You are listening to a special broadcast of Law and Gospel on this May the 26th in the year of our Lord, 2020. It's a special broadcast because it's a special day. It's Ascension. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is my good friend, whose name is... Wes Reinitz. Yes, Wes. Good to hear from you. Uh, we had almost forgot about what year Ascension. Is, yeah. What year is this? 2022. Didn't you just say 2020? I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were playing a trick on me. No, I don't ever play tricks on you, Fred. <laughs> yeah, we almost did forget about the Ascension. Part of the reason is is because very few churches have a special worship service on the day of the Ascension. What they often do is combine the seventh Sunday after Trinity with Ascension and try and say some things about that. But there's actually two passages that are really important. And uh, one is your favorite and one is my favorite. Your favorite is from Acts chapter 1. Right. Can you give a little summary of that? Well, it it is um, a summary of Jesus' Jesus' ascension into heaven. And it's really from our earth's perspective. You pick it up in in chapter 1. For instance, in in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. There's where we pick up the, there was 40 days after his resurrection, there came his ascension. Then you jump down to Verse 7, and he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons of the Father who is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And uh, that I call God's plan of missionaries locally in Jerusalem or right where we're at in Judea, Samaria, further, further out. And Samaria would be cross-cultural and yes. to to the ends of the earth. And What happened in verse 9 it, as he's talking to well, them? As he said these things, he was looking up and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus who you was taken up into heaven will come the same way you saw him go into heaven. So there's where we see him go go into heaven and out of sight. Now, cloud is really important. When was the last event that a cloud was involved with? Are you talking about uh, Moses? 
No, the last event was Jesus. On the Mount of... Transfiguration. Oh, yeah, I never thought of it that way. And who was the cloud? Well, the cloud was uh, was the voice of the Father coming from there. And when he said, um, uh, listen to him. And yes. he had Moses on one side and Elijah on the other talking to Jesus. So cloud language is really important because it shows that Jesus was taken up into heaven by God the Father to mm. sit at his right hand. And that's really yeah, we always, important. Yeah, we always talked about, you know, from the scriptures that he was taken up by the Father and sits at the right hand. But I never, I never thought about the, the fact that it was a cloud. Yes. In fact, the cloud does appear, you already mentioned, in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's uh, guided uh, the people of Israel, pillar of cloud, as they wandered through the wilderness. Exactly. It was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud during the day. And it protected them from the Egyptians that were chasing them. So... You see, we don't believe God is a cloud. We don't believe that Jesus is a piece of bread or a sip of wine. However, he chose to come to us in those ways. And under the bread and the wine, we receive his true body and blood. So in a sense, when you go to the Lord's Supper, you're really entering the cloud of the altar. Well, are are we also teaching that when we come together as worship, we're we're surrounding His throne here on earth, and you know, worship Him in His uh, ascended state. Yes, yes, that's correct. Now, there's quite a bit that happens after Jesus ascends into heaven, and that's the day of Pentecost. But we're really talking about the ascension right now. And Jesus has a vocation. He's prophet, priest, and king. And that follows what God has set up in the Old Testament. He set up prophets, to speak the word of God. He set up priests to worship and pray to him. And he set up a king that was Saul and David and Solomon to lead his people. Now, how is Jesus as ascended Lord, prophet, priest, and king? Well, as ascended Lord, he's our our, our um, king, he rules uh, the uh, world. Yes. Um, for, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter there, that uh, uh, he, raised, he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above rule and authority, all power and dominion, 
and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness, fullness of who fills all in all. So Christ rules from the right hand of God, the Father. Yes. And how is he an ascended priest? Ascended priest? Right. Through the sacraments? Well, through prayer. We pray to Jesus, who then mm. takes our prayers to the Father. Remember how he begins the most important prayer. What is it? Our Father who art in heaven, Lord's Prayer. Yes. Yes. So he is the go-between. We had a prosecuting attorney who was whom? The prosecuting attorney, Satan. Yes. And now we have a defense attorney who is none other than Jesus himself. Yeah, don't we kind of pick that up in, in the first John chapter 1? When we do some of our confession of sins, if we say that we do not sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yes. That's part of the liturgy, in fact. Right. It's a way in which the church progresses between law and gospel. From the point of view of the law, we are poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. But from the point of the law of the gospel, we get what we do not deserve. And what is that? His forgiveness and his mercy. Yes. God is merciful, which means he does not give us what we deserve, eternal punishment. And he is gracious in that he gives us what we do not deserve, which is, of course, the wonderful good gifts of salvation. So the kingdom of God is invisible to mankind. Saving faith cannot be seen by the eye of man, nor can man look into the heart. So, but it is there through through uh, Christ who comes and makes his home inside of us, as we read in John 14. Yes, saving faith is not obvious, not visible, because you said it has a rendition with the heart, which means a good work is only a good work if it's motivated by your love for Jesus Christ. And that's impossible if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And therein lies uh, the, the fact that we, we, we talk about these people that want interfaith prayer services, interfaith worship services. It's just not going to happen because uh, they're, faith or their belief system is all in another God. Were you not telling me about a pastor 
who apologized to the Muslims because he spoke of the Trinity? Right. He had done a, they've done an interface, what they call an interface, which I, I kind of disagree with the use of the word. They should use interreligion, but uh, service that they were having, prayer service. And he had uh, gone off and talked about it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And after he realized that he had done that, after the service, he went up to the Muslim Amman and apologized to him because he didn't want to offend him by talking about the Trinity. See, that's what Jesus did. He went and apologized to the Pharisees for talking the truth. <laughs> and well, so did John the Baptist. What Baptist oh, yeah. Brood of Ivan. And, and that's Brood why the one was... One was beheaded and the other was crucified. Right. Uh, the, well, in Jesus' case, he said, out of the heart proceeds all kinds of manners of evil. Exactly. And so God is always judging your heart. And that scares some Christians because a lot of times they're not aware of their proper motivation because with the Holy Spirit within them, it's kind of spontaneous. It just occurs. Hmm. It's like loving your wife and doing things for her. And you don't say, well, I'm going to do this because I love her. No, you just do it because of the love within you. And you may not be aware all the time. Well, wouldn't it be kind of fair to say that the closer that we draw to, to Christ, in our love for him and a faith that, that he has created in us, the more we begin to realize how sinful we are and how much we, we, we rely on on his uh, sacrifice and forgiveness. Yes. So we mentioned that Acts 1 is your favorite passage. My favorite passage dealing with the ascension is actually in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 4 is kind of an introduction to chapter 5. So in chapter 4, John has this vision of a door standing open in heaven and a voice speaking like a trumpet. Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And then I saw a throne standing in heaven and one seated on the throne. Now, who's that? Uh, the Father. Yes. And we get that from Daniel, where the Ancient of Days is sitting on the throne and he calls to him one referred to as the son of man and he sends him to earth with a mission and what is the mission that god the father sends the son to well that's uh, to uh sacrifice and win back all the people through his is suffering death and resurrection. Exactly. So the son goes 
to redeem the world. And he does that by his own blood. And it indicates that in this heavenly place, there are 24 elders. What does that represent? 24 elders? Yes. It's something uh, from the Old Testament and well, the New the Testament. Well, it's 12 tribes of Israel and the uh, 12 apostles. Excellent. Of Christ. The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus represent all of God's people from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what they do, the angels and the elders they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. And that's dealing with God the Father. Now, how does verse 5 begin? Verse 5? Chapter you mean five, chapter 5? Yes. Chapter I saw in the hand of him who was seated no, no. at the throne. Of... Read, read that again. Read that again. I saw in the right hand of him. Yeah, the right the hand throne. of him. Yeah, Christ. And who... uh, sits... He sits well, at the right hand of God. Well, not yet. What he hmm. sees at the right hand is a scroll written mm. on the front and the back, sealed with seven seals. And a strong angel proclaimed in a loud voice, he has a question. What does he ask? Who, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And nobody in heaven or on earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. And John began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Now we find out later in the chapters that the scroll is the salvation of mankind. And if no one is able to open it, then it doesn't become a promise. For example, in Roman culture, they would make a rule in Rome and they would send it to Judah, but until it was read, opened and read in Israel, it did not become law. And mm -hmm. so that's why John is weeping. And what does one of the, one of the elders say to him in verse 5? Well, we know more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. And of course, Who's uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah? That would be Jesus. Excellent. He came from the household of David. That's right. 
and therefore he comes forward. And it says, it's very interesting how this lion of the tribe of Judah is described in verse 6. What is he described as? I saw a lion standing with seven eyes, of which the seven spirits of God on the scroll from his right hand. So Jesus is described as the lamb. And that reminds you of what John the baptizer said. Um, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Excellent. And so there are many, many titles to Jesus. Savior, Redeemer, Lord, but also here, Lion, Root of David, and the Lamb. Now, why is he described as the Lamb? What work did the lamb do? Well, the lamb in the Old Testament system was a sacrifice they were to bring to to atone for sins, a lamb without blemish or spot, a perfect lamb for a sacrifice for God of the forgiveness of sins. And then once a year, the the high priest would would go behind the, the curtain into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of God and God looked upon his people and saw their sins no more. Where else was the lamb used when the people were going to exit Egypt? Ah, oh, the Passover. Passover exactly. lamb. Where, yeah. See how all these things fit together? It is. It's kind of. I I, I see more and more every year that uh, we cover that and, and talk about Revelations five, four and five, about how it is a, a, a victory that after Jesus' ascension, where does he go? He goes to the throne and sits at the right hand of the, of the Father and receives a scroll to open up. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor, glory and blessing. As the Lamb takes the scroll, and by taking it and opening it, the salvation of the world is going to occur. This is a wonderful event that is described in the book of Revelation. And then there's a new song sung by everybody. It's very close to the song sung to the Father, except it's now sung to the Son. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. See, it goes back to his crucifixion. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's where Wes brought in the idea that, yes, it's even for the Gentiles. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign 
on the earth. This is a wonderful promise. Remember the difference between the law and the gospel. The law makes a demand which you must meet. The gospel gives a promise that God meets for you. And so therefore, even in the midst of all of our problems on earth, we are still a kingdom of priests, able to pray right to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And also, we shall reign on the earth. That's the good news of the ascension, that Jesus has now ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of God, and he is the one who is our prophet, priest, and king. So that's really good news. I don't know if you got back on Wes or not. Yeah, I'm here. I'm I just didn't break in. You sounded so good. Oh, no. Please break in. Uh, Something happened to the computer. Okay. Thanks so very much. On tomorrow will be email Friday. Or you may have a question that you would like to ask. Email me, Tom Baker, and we'll take a look at it. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.